<laughs> How about that? So fun to see parents coming through celebrating Easter. It does look a little different, but you know what isn't different this season? Nothing changes. The grace that Jesus has for us, that's what we're going to focus on. And there's a couple other things that we are celebrating that I want to um, fill you in with. Last week, I told you that our student pastors are here on the ground. They're in Wimberley. Tyler and Emily, while you're at home, I want you to give them a big round of applause. They're actually here with us. So Tyler, Emily, y'all come on up. Y'all come on up. So guys, welcome. This is church. This is church. It's different. It looks a little different. It looks a little different. Hey, we want to welcome you. You've been prayed over a lot. We've been praying for a long time for you guys, and we're so glad that you're here it's going to be awesome. So I do want to ask you, how are you guys? How are you doing? Tell, tell us a little bit. We, we are good. Um, we're excited. Uh, we're excited for the fresh start, the new beginnings here, uh, being part of the Cypress Creek Church family. Um, we are excited and thankful for in the middle of chaos, like what a time to move, yeah. right? And transition a family with a seven-month pregnant wife in the middle mm-hmm. of COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there, there's there's been some struggles with that. You know, we've had some stresses and some worries if we're being completely honest. And so we could really use prayers there. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are hopeful um, and we are excited. And this season, like we are thankful now more than ever for technology. Because, you know, here in the next coming weeks, this isn't the ideal welcome for a transition right. in ministry, right? But God has provided a way through technology for us to still be able to connect with people, get relationships rolling for when this too passes. And um, Noah's done with a snack and wants more. Um, but no, we, we are excited and we're excited for the future when things mm-hmm. crank back up and we're able to experience the hugs and the tears and the welcomes. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's gonna be an exciting time here in the next several weeks. It is indeed. And so what I want you to do from home is I want you to loudly say to your TV, your computer screen or phone, say, welcome Tyler and Emily. Welcome Tyler and Emily. Yeah, thank you. And what we're going to do now is we're going to pray. We're going to pray over them and we're going to commission them as our new student pastors. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are moving that through this season, we can know that you are still on the throne and that you are still fully in control. Lord, you knew that this was going to be the time for Tyler and Emily to move here. You knew that all of this was gonna take place. And, And most of all, Father, we can find comfort that you are with us, that your spirit is where we can find your strength. And so I ask for your strength over Tyler and Emily through this transition. We pray for all of the little details, Father. We pray for for Emily and her health, and we pray for baby, and we ask for health in the name of Jesus. We thank you for little Noah, and we thank you for the joy that he's already um, given to us. And, And God, I thank you for the joy that this family will be for this community, for our cities, and for this body. I thank you, Father, that you are the one that have called them to be the student pastors in this season for your purposes. And so we commission them as such, the student pastors of Cypress Creek Church, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. 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 Thanks, Jose. We're excited. Yeah, man. Can't, can't wait to meet everybody. You got it. You got so, it. Awesome. Right. Well, hey, give them a round of applause from home. Thank you, guys. 
Oh, what a season, what a day to be alive. Church, there's so much going on. And so let's continue to press in as we choose hope over fear, sacrifice over selfishness, and peace over anxiety. It's go time for the church to be the church. And I want to encourage all of you, if you are already plugged into a community group, awesome. I hope that you're able to meet. I, I wanna encourage uh, and, and thank all of those that have weathered the uncharted choppy waters of Zoom and logging on and going, you know, the, the learning curve may be steep, but I think we're almost over that hump where, where we're kind of getting used to this new normal. And then I also want to straight up just say, I know that it's hard not to be together. I know that there's been stuff that's going on, but I just wanna, I, I want us to just release everything to God and, and recognize that he is still in control. And this church knows how to scatter well. This church started in a home. This church started scattered. Warren, just in one building, this church continued to grow into one community group, three community groups, and then we started gathering corporately. And, and I truly believe in this season of social distancing that it's a season for spiritual deepening and awakening. And what I am praying for is I'm praying for revival. I'm praying for revival in a way that maybe we, 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 we've never expected it, we've never seen, but I'm hoping for the church to rise up and continue to do what God has asked us to do. And so if you're with me, raise your hand or give me a thumbs up or something. I, I, sweet, thanks. So today we're starting a new series. We're starting a new series. We started um, the Let's Go series on focusing on witnessing. And, and we looked at our families and our communities and our cities and the world. And today I want to follow up with, now we're going to go deep. We're going to go deep. So... I think that there's that little concentric circle that has the fear, it has the growth zone, and it has the comfort zone. And as you look at this, the panic zone is, is something that probably we have some way, somehow experienced. Maybe it's been financial, maybe it's been just fear because of what is going on, or, or maybe you, you, you just, there's all sorts of things that cause us to go into this panic zone. I think most of us are totally out of our comfort zone, but it's this growth zone, this middle zone that I want to focus in on as we go deep. Because just like in music or in sports, when we really prioritize on working on our fundamentals, then when it comes to game time, we're able to perform really well. We're able to execute really well. We're able to do really well under pressure. So I remember growing up playing the piano. Um, if I didn't practice when my teacher wasn't there or whenever I wasn't called upon to play at a recital or, or whatever, when, when I didn't practice, it showed. Even if I tried really hard to cover it up, even if I tried really hard to fake it, People who knew me, people who had heard me, knew that I was just trying to gloss over it. And it showed that I didn't practice. And it's the same thing with sports. I got to play football, American football, when I moved to Texas when I was 13. I was a soccer player, wasn't sure this, with this whole you know, football thing, but I put on a helmet, put on some shoulder pads in eighth grade spring ball, and I fell in love with it. I was like, man, you can hit people for free 
awesome, way, great way to get your aggression, until I started getting hit. And, and I was a wide receiver to begin with, and, and so I was practicing my routes. And if I didn't work on my fundamentals, if I didn't work the route tree, if I didn't practice, it was gonna show come game time. I was not gonna perform. I, you, we have to work on our fundamentals. Ultimately, I think that's why uh, Coach changed me up to defense, said, Abaroa, you're good. Uh, just go ahead and, and, and be a defensive, defensive back. So what I want us to do now in this new series, Let's Go Deep, is I want us to go back to the fundamentals of what it means to be a follower of Christ. If you're watching, if this is the first time that you've ever logged on or checked out Cypress Creek Church, maybe you're even checking out what it looks like to follow Jesus, this is a great time to tune in not, not only is there, are there no strings attached, you can turn me off at any time, you can you know, multitask, you can hang out in your PJs, you can refill your coffee, but it's also a great time because what we're gonna do in this series is we're gonna go down to the fundamentals. We're, we're going to talk about the essence of what it means to be a Jesus follower. A few weeks ago, we talked about loving God and loving uh, people were the two greats that Jesus asked us. He said, love God with all your heart, all your, all your mind, and all your soul, and with all your strength. And then also, love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greats. And now we're going to look at spiritual disciplines that deepen our relationship with Jesus. So we're gonna look at prayer. We're gonna look at fasting. We're gonna look at scripture memory. We're gonna look at honoring the Sabbath. We're going to look at different uh, disciplines that will strengthen and deepen our relationship with Jesus. Again, we're working on the fundamentals. So spiritual disciplines remind us of two things. One, it reminds us that God is still God. God is totally in control. And then the second thing that it reminds us is it actually transforms us into the likeness of Christ. You know, Pastor Bob, you know, Pastor Bob Moss, spiritual formation pastor, he shared his story many weeks ago about how he was, uh, gave his life to Christ at a young age and then went right into the Navy. And there was a guy that discipled him from the navigators. And he started memorizing scripture from a young age. And now he's memorized dozens, if not hundreds of scriptures throughout his time following Jesus. And he used the TMS, the Topical Memory Index, to do so. And, and that TMS, through this navigators, there's this diagram called the wheel diagram. And I wanna show it to you right here. It talks about, again, the fundamentals of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You have the outside, which is the obedient Christian in action. That's living a life that, that is satisfying, living a life that glorifies Christ. You have the vertical spokes, you have prayer, and you have the word which highlight our relationship with God through prayer and through reading his word. And then you have the horizontals which are witnessing, that is evangelism, that's talking to others about Jesus and fellowship, our time together. But this week and next week, what I wanna focus on is that middle one, Christ. That is the center. That is what we need to be focused on. And my question to you this morning is, is Jesus the center of your life right now? Is through everything going on, are we prioritizing Jesus as the center? Because we have an opportunity now to really make him the center of our life. And as we go throughout whatever our circumstances look like, we can know that Jesus, 
our Savior, our Redeemer is with us. So this is Palm Sunday. I want to look at Luke 19, and, and next week is Easter Sunday. And even though it may look a little different, we're still going to do what we've done every Easter Sunday. That's the pastor steps aside, and we highlight two resurrection stories from people, two stories of redemption, of how God has redeemed people. So we'll have two uh, interviews live next Sunday. We're going to continue to worship. We have some things that we're working on throughout the week. So if you haven't already, make sure to check uh, Facebook, Instagram, emails. That's how we're communicating. So stay tuned in. This week, like I said, we're going to talk about Palm Sunday. And there's a verse in Isaiah that I want to read. It's going to give us the theme for these two weeks. It's Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 3. And the context here is Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, are far away from their homeland, Jerusalem. They're not in Jerusalem. They're exiled into Babylon. And so they're in despair. And these are the words that God uses to comfort us and say, hey, remember me, keep me in the, in the center of your life. Isaiah 43, verse one says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fear not, says God, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. As we focus on Jesus, the center of our lives. Fear not. Right then in there, fear not. Why? For I have redeemed you. So hope over fear. We can have hope over the fear because he has redeemed us. And what that means is that he paid the ultimate price. He has purchased us back. Death had his grip on us. If before we were following Jesus, we were walking in, in ways of sin, we, we were held on to those chains. But because Jesus came and died on the cross, what we are celebrating this week, we have been freed from that, from those shackles. We, we have been unchained from sin. He has redeemed us. And so we because he sacrificed his life, we now have everlasting life. And there's hope there. Not only is there hope there, but it, it, it teaches us how to live a selfless life. So sacrifice over selfishness. We now, as, as followers of Jesus, live selflessly. We live sacrificially. Now, but way before this coronavirus issue and the toilet paper you know, debacle. My wife has always been a frugal shopper. So she has always showed up with just a little bit of, you know, groceries for the day, for the week. And it drives me nuts because I'm an abundance guy. I like to have a bunch of stuff. I'm selfish. So yesterday she was at HEB and I saw her come in with two gallons of milk. And I thought, wow, my wife must be, you know, Taylor must be really thinking that we, we really need milk because I've never seen her buy two gallons of milk. And we have four kids. We drink a lot of milk. But anyway, five minutes later, a door, you know, someone knocked on the door and it was a friend. And she had bought that second gallon of milk 
for her friend. And I thought, great, I, I really am the selfish one. So, so sacrifice over selfishness means that in this season, we, we, we echo what Jesus has done for us on the cross by living sacrificially. And then the third is that he has called us by name. He has called you by name. He has called me by name. And that brings me peace. When I feel anxious, I remember that the God, the Lord of Lords, the, the God, creator God, has called each of us by name. He, you, me, he says, we are his. We are fully his. And the fact that he calls us by name is, is great. And not only do I think that he calls us just by name, but he calls us by that nickname that only a few people know you by, you know. Uh, some of you know this. My name in Spanish is Jose. In English, it's Jose. Call it whatever you want. And I had a nickname growing up, Pepe. So when I moved to the, to the States in first grade, people started saying Pepe, and I was like, forget about it. I'm Jose. Call me Jose. Don't call me Pepe. Don't, whatever. Don't worry about that. Call me Jose. But when I, when I uh, moved on to the Netherlands, when I studied abroad in the Netherlands, I was meeting people in Spanish and I was meeting people in English. And when I met people in English, they would ask me my name and I would say, Jose. But when I met people in Spanish, they'd ask me what my name is. I would say, Pepe, because that's what all my family calls me as, Pepe. And nickname, right? Well, quickly, they started saying, hey, bro, are you lying to us? What's going on? Because I'm asking you what your name is. And over here, they're saying Jose. And now you're telling other people, Pepe, what's going on? I was like, no, I mean, you know, I'm not lying, guys. It's just my nickname. So I chose then to be called by my nickname, Pepe, because every time I heard that nickname, I felt that peace that someone that knew me was calling my name. Someone that knew me deeply was calling my name. And it's the same thing here. We have peace in this time because God calls us by our name. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Parents, if, you're, if, you, if your kids are doing the resurrection eggs today, they, day five, they opened up or they will open up the egg that's when Christ was beaten. And it may be difficult to explain to a kid that Christ was, was beaten, but it will be, we have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20 says. And so it is no longer us who live, but we honor what Jesus did for us on the cross. We honor his redemption by the way that we live our life. And so we change now. Instead of going you know, and living a life of sin, we turn and we now live a life for Jesus at the center. I want to look at Luke 19 now. And Luke 19 is a triumphant entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But before we do so, I want to set it up with this clip. It's a clip from the Bible Project. It actually talks about Isaiah, this, this uh, prophet in the Old Testament who alludes to over you know, many of the 300 prophecies of Jesus. And this is a great resource. In this time, as you have time, check out these Bible Project videos. There are great videos that, that will deepen your relationship with God, that will explain a lot of themes and a lot of books. So I encourage you to check them out. I think the link of, for this video will be also on the comments if you're checking it out. Let's roll the video. 
there's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running, and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies.
This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. The king who defeated death with his love. That's what we're going to celebrate on Good Friday. And it's so crazy that we call it good that Jesus died on the cross, but it's good because he did that to show us his love so that we can be in relationship with him, so that we can live life and life in abundance here on this life and life eternal in the next. So as we now look at the triumphal entry, triumphant entry in Luke chapter 19, if you want to flip over there in your Bibles, context is that Jesus is actually going on the mountain. He's going up to the mountain of the Lord. So our annual verse, Micah 4, 2, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Jesus is literally fulfilling this prophecy as he himself is going up to the mountain of the Lord. He is descending the Mount of Olives, which is where he later ascends into heaven. And we see in Luke chapter 19, verse 28, it reads, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the town of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead, go into the village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. I want to pause right there because I think there's something for us today. That's the password right there. If we, if we need anything, if God asks us to do anything, the password is the Lord needs it. And my question to you is, what is the Lord needing? Let's keep on reading. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. Now, I want to mention a few things. Number one, can you imagine being the disciples having to go and ask for this man's donkey? We, we learned from the other gospels that, that it was a donkey. And, and I can just see the disciples thinking, why am I, you know, Jesus, why am I doing it? Jesus like, just trust me, just go do it. And, and when, when you're questioned, just say that the Lord needs it. But I want to emphasize these two owners. The fact that they had two owners of this one donkey means that this was a pretty big sacrifice for the owner, that the donkey actually was, was of high value for them. But when they heard the Lord needs it, they didn't argue. They didn't try to, to negotiate. They just gave it to him. 
because they knew that the Lord, they trusted that God needed it. Little did they know that this prophecy was gonna be one of 300 prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. And I mean, think about it. It's Jesus, the King of Kings is entering on a donkey. It would have made sense if he was on an Arabian horse or a thoroughbred, but no, it was a donkey. So let's keep on reading. Verse 35, so they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along the crowd, spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. Think of it like a rolling out the, the red carpet. This is the people submitting themselves to the king. Verse 37, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into tears. We are called now to worship to worship God. Many of these people had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. They had seen the amazing things that Jesus had done. And so they were ready to welcome their Messiah into their city. There's an issue. Verse 41, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. The problem was that even though that the Messiah was coming in, that the Messiah was entering into the city of peace, Jerusalem, people were still going to deny him. The fact that, that what Jesus is alluding to is, is that Jerusalem in, in 70 AD was gonna be ransacked. So literally Rome was, the Romans were gonna come and they were gonna take over the city. That's the context. But what we see here is the heart of Jesus who weeps when people do not respond to him. He came and he gave himself freely for us. I was talking to a junior high student this week who's going through more than any junior high student should ever go through, had nothing to do with this pandemic. And, and the, the question kind of came up, is God punishing me? Why is God doing this? It's kind of like this destruction to Jerusalem. Why would God destroy this city of peace? See, God is not cursing the land. God is not punishing anyone. It's our own sin. In the beginning, we read in Genesis that it was because we turned away from God that sin entered the picture. And it's sin that spirals and destroys. It is sin that brings us to death. It is sin that exists in this broken world that allows for death and suffering to happen. It's not God. What is God's heart in all of this? It's right here. He's weeping. He's saying, look, the king is here. The prince of peace has entered. Turn to me. That is the heart of God. He came to save, not to condemn. He came to rescue. And he came to seek those that are, that are lost. He did not come to punish. 
And, and we, we read right then and in, in, in there in verse 45, and then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. And he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Sacrifices uh, were, were, were a way the temple back then was kind of like a bank and people gave money and, and that money was turned into another currency. And with that currency, you could buy sacrifices so that you would you know, be okay with God, so that you could be reconciled to God. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, no, my house is not for this. Number one, my house is to pray. My house is meant so that the, 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 I'll create Creation can communicate with creator. I, and I am coming to be the ultimate sacrifice. In Cuba, my first ministry trip over there in Pastor Ricardo's house right next door, there was a lady who sold animals for sacrifices. And I thought it was a joke. I didn't believe them until I heard a goat in the morning. And then later on, the goat was no longer there. I didn't hear the goat anymore. And then the next day, I saw a woman dressed in all white leaving with a dove. And sure enough, she was going to sacrifice that animal to try to cure something or another. Here's the deal. Sacrifice is meaningful, but when we follow Jesus, he was the ultimate sacrifice. And when we are under his atonement, we are fully covered. We are totally good. We may not receive healing in this life, but we are promised it in the next. And Jesus in his passion is saying, I'm reclaiming my house from, 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 a, from the den of thieves into a house of prayer. And in this time, we, Cypress Creek Church, need to turn to prayer. This is how God is teaching us to keep him in the center. And let's close. Verse 47, after that, he taught daily in the temple, but the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing because all the people hung on to every word he said. This passage, the Palm Sunday story, teaches us how to keep Jesus at the center. It teaches us how to go deep. With that spoke, that, that wheel, that teaches us how to live in an abundant life, a, a glorifying life for Jesus. It teaches us that we need to be obedient. Obedient like the two men who gave up, who sacrificed their donkey instead of selfishly keeping it or arguing or bringing up some sort of negotiation. They said, the Lord needs it. I'm giving it to you. And so what is the Lord asking of you? What do you have that the Lord needs? Maybe it's a phone call for somebody. Maybe it's an actual letter for, for those that receive love that way. Maybe it's doing something financially, contributing for someone that is in need something, but you have a donkey, I have a donkey, and God needs it. It may seem insignificant to you, but it is a part of his eternal purpose. Are we willing to be obedient? And then the second is with fellowship and, and, and witness. We are connected. We, we need to stay uh, as a body, worshiping God wherever we are. God does not only exist in this house, the church, the body, people, have literally left the building. And so now the church is scattered and that will bring our cities hope. 
because people would more, you know, on Facebook, if, if you decide to invite somebody to the stream or if you decide to invite somebody to your community group, man, sometimes that's a lot easier to engage in that way than it would be to actually set foot in this house or in your house. And so let's be people that, that are willing to invite. Let's be people that are, that are willing to say, hey, come, come see what Jesus is all about. And then the third is prayer. My temple will be a house of prayer. We have direct access to God. And we as his people are called to pray and stand in intercession. As, as followers of Jesus, we can pray for people. And we're going to look at how to deepen our prayer life. And, and last, the word. The story ends with the Pharisees, the leading priest, could think of nothing because all the people hung on to every word that Jesus said. Are you hanging on to every word that Jesus is saying to you in this season? Are, you, are, we, are we being obedient Bible readers? Are we digging into his word and, and seeing what he has for us because he is speaking and he wants to use you and he wants to use Cypress Creek Church to be his church in this time for his purposes. So how are you? Is Jesus the center of your life? As we go forward in this series, as we go deep, let's focus in on who he is and who he says we are. As a worship band comes up, I want to finish by going back to this Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. Maybe for you, you have already said yes to Jesus. You're already in relationship with Jesus. You know why Jesus was crucified for you. What that means is that you, you have confessed your sin. You, you have said, Jesus, I can't do this alone. I, I need you. I need salvation. I need a redeemer. I need, I need a savior. I need a master other than myself. Well, Pastor Bob Moss told us that our ego is not our amigo. But you know that our amigo, Jesus, he's our best amigo. He's our best friend. He wants to, to fully clothe us with his power. And so the verse finishes, but says, but now I live by faith. In Galatians 2.20, it says that I now live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I want to invite you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, this is just an opportunity to do so. If you feel like life and circumstance are kind of out of control, this is an opportunity to say yes to him. And, and for those of us that, that, are, that are in and, and you know that you are with Christ, go ahead and let's just go deep in the season as we look at spiritual disciplines and we ask God, Lord, what do you need of me every day? Let's pray together. We thank you, God, that you are totally in control and that we can trust you with our lives. That you are moving in our midst, whether we see it or we don't. You are here and you are moving. And I pray that you would continue to use your church as your hands and feet in this community. We do pray in faith, God, for an end to all of this. We pray for that to come quick. And we do pray for health for all of those affected. I pray for hope for those that, that are struggling, 
with certain fears, financial fears, relational fears, or any other fear that they may be facing. And I pray that we can hold on to the sacrifice that we are celebrating in this Easter season, that you, God, have defeated death, and we now have hope. And Father, I pray for that peace that transcends all understanding, that peace that makes no sense. I ask that it would fall upon every house that is watching, every family, in Jesus' name.